Vasudevasutam devam Tansujanuramardanam Devaki paramarandam Krishnam vannev jagatguram Hi and welcome to Season 3 of Gita Girl. My name is Sharmila and the Gita Girl podcast is about how to live skillfully and be the best version of yourself by using the advice in the Bhagavad Gita. Jai Sri Krishna Shaila. Jai Sri Krishna Sharmila. How are you? I'm sitting in a bit of a mess here because I have so many notes in front of me. Books, research, articles, because today's episode is about who and what is God exactly. This is one of the toughest subjects to deal with, which is why I have so many notes in front of me. And what does that have to do with the reduction of anxiety? We're going to have a part one and a part two of this podcast. The first one is to talk about before you can even have faith in God, you have to understand the question, who is God? How does the Bhagavad Gita define what God is and the role of God in this world? And we'll talk about that in this podcast, but also the second part is really to understand how and why to have faith, even in times of difficulty and challenge. I think this is a tough topic. It's very abstract, but I think our listeners are up for it. So do your best, leave the rest. We're talking about leaving the rest as leaving our anxieties, worries, and our attachment to an imaginary result. We talked about that. However, another interpretation of leaving the rest is having faith and leaving the result in the hands of God. But what is God? Who is God? That's one of Arjun's many difficult questions to Lord Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita. Arjun asks this question repeatedly, and Lord Krishna answers the question in different ways, because it's not a simple answer, and it's not an easy thing to wrap your brain around. Lord Krishna answers it, and still Arjun has a tough time to absorb, understand who and what God is. And I like that it took so many chapters for Krishna to explain to Arjun, and that Arjun really grappled with the concept, because it's very relatable. I think in the first chapter, by the second verse, if he was like, I got it, this totally makes sense to me, it would be harder for us to put faith in it, right? Because I think in reality, we all need a little bit of convincing. It's not so easy for everybody to just have instant faith in something that is difficult to understand. Instead of throwing out the verses here and there, I'm just going to say them, okay? We are going to reference chapters 7, verses 4 to 10, chapter 9, verses 7 to 10, chapter 10, verses 19 to 42, chapter 10, verses 4 to 5, chapter 15, verses 12 to 14. And we will put all of this on our social media and our website so you all can look at that if you would like to. Okay, so here we go. First of all, it's really important to understand that Lord Krishna is a representation of the power that is the universe. He's just a small representation of it that has come down on earth He says over and over again that I am garbed in human form. I'm wearing this human body, but this is not me. Arjun, what you're seeing and who you're having a conversation with is not the entirety of the massiveness of my power. Krishna explains that this power that he represents, this power has two natures, okay? Two components, if you will. His lower nature has eight parts, The eight parts are 
all the five elements, earth, water, fire, air, space, plus the mind, which is thought, and reason, which is the ability to understand, and ego, which is your self-sense. Humans, we understand that I am me, right? So he says, everything in the world around us is made up of these eight parts, which together, these eight are actually God's lower nature, which is the sort of inferior of the two natures that God has. And are these eight components of things that we as humans can most easily see, feel, Correct. touch, sense? Exactly. And then, by inferior, you don't necessarily mean worse. It just means... The less powerful. Okay. And then his higher nature, Lord Krishna says, my higher nature is the life principle essence by which the whole universe is sustained, the eternal seed of all beings. So what he's saying is that he is the force which holds the entire world together. He further explains that there's nothing whatsoever that is higher than me. And a very famous line from the Gita, all that is here is strung on me as rows of gems on a string. So it's like pearls on a necklace. You can see the pearls, but you can't see the actual thread which holds everything together. The pearls are his lower nature, but his higher nature is the thread which holds everything together. He actually dwells within and supports and moves everything like the string of the pearls, but he still exists apart from everything. It seems like it's easier to understand lower nature, I think, we all can more easily understand the concept that God exists in trees and flowers and in our ability to think and feel and sense the world around us. That makes sense. But the higher nature part, that's the part that you can't see so easily, but you just have to have faith that there is some energy that connects all of it. Well, we're going to talk more about faith in the next podcast right. and what Krishna says about faith. But right now, we're just understanding what are the two main components of God, which is the lower nature and the higher nature. Correct. Then moving on, in chapter 15, Lord Krishna says that he's the energy in every process. He's the energy that allows our body and this planet to function. That's part of his higher nature. He says that I'm the nourishing power of the moon that nourishes all plants and life forms in the world. I am the light and warmth of the sun. I am the life in all beings. He's the energy that gives us life and allows us to even digest and grow. And then in chapter 10, he lists in great detail where the spark of his splendor can be clearly and obviously seen. He says, you can see me in the essence of every attribute. He says, for example, I am the intelligence of the intelligent. I am the splendor of the splendid. I am the strength of the strong, devoid of desire and passion. He doesn't say I'm the strength of the strong that somebody goes and beats the crap out of somebody else. 
He says, not the kind of strength that oppresses somebody. He says, I am desire, which is not contrary to dharma. So that means I am the desire to actually do your duty in a dharmic, in the right way. Skillful way. In a skillful way, right. He says, I am the wisdom of the wise and of secrets, I am the silence. Of those who debate, I am logic. He says, I am the goodness of the good-natured. And it keeps going on and on. So he says that all which is good emanates from me. So what he's saying here is that anything good in this world is a mark of God. But then one can say, okay, but what about the bad? Right? Right. So that, that, that's the logical question. Somebody actually asked this exact question to a great sage called Sadhu Vaswani. It was about four years ago, I'd say, I went to this talk. And at that time, he was 99 and still oh, very, wow. yeah, and still on it. Brilliant. And someone asked him, well, if you can see God in the good, what about the bad? He goes, look, everyone blames God for anything bad happening. But humans take credit for anything good. He says, look around this city. Humans say, we built New York. We are responsible for all the scientific uh, strides that we've made. And we've created flying vehicles. And we've created subways that go underground. He goes, but all the bad, no, God did that. That's God. We don't look at ourselves and say, wait, what did we do collectively to create this? He made a joke. He said, no wonder God is in hiding because if he reveals himself, he'll be lynched. <laughs> the example that popped up in my mind that I think we're seeing more and more of is the evidence of climate change. There's a direct line pointing to the impact of human behavior on climate and the extreme weather patterns we're seeing now and the destruction of natural habitats and animal extinction, we can all point that directly to our own behavior. What if we had used those three elements of reason, ability to think, and intellect to really see those five elements as they truly are as expressions of God? If we had treated them as such, would we be in this position? I don't think so. But we didn't. We made some different choices. In chapter 9, Lord Krishna explains how he created this universe. The raw materials, the energy and instructions for creation all come from God. As we've talked about the eight elements, right? This is all the raw materials and instructions for creation all come from him. He says, my guidance is what created and instructs Mother Nature to sustain the Earth and what guides our planet and solar system to revolve. Very interesting. The book was written 5,000 years ago when most people were thinking of the Earth as flat, but he uses the word revolve. That's pretty amazing. So then, like I said, he's created Mother Nature to create and sustain the Earth, and then... He steps back and says, but now Mother Nature has taken over and I actually don't do anything. And I love what the book I recommend on the website. It's Mahesh Sharma's Bhagavad Gita. Mahesh Sharma says that this planet's solar system has been created with humans in it. And he said that the humans are on this planet 
to fulfill their dharma, to fulfill their duties, to do what we're supposed to do. However, all the egocentric actions, which are motivated by selfish desires, by attachment, greed, envy, he says, these actions leave their ugly footprints upon your karmic account. And he says, actions which are not ego-motivated, which are just done to do your duty, leave no karmic account. Mahesh Sharma says, wherever and whenever an egocentric action motivated by selfishness is undertaken, then you accrue karma and you accrue painful reactions. That made sense to me. That makes a lot of sense. When we talked about karma, we said much the same. The idea here is that God created this world and then said, okay, I've created this material world for you. And now it's up to you to make choices to move it in one direction or the other. And I've I've given you the power to know what those good choices are. And if you don't make them, then there are consequences. And if you do your dharma and make better choices, then you'll move in a certain direction. There's just a very simple sort of law here. And as we've talked about before, all the factors that go into making a decision and that impact karma, but that there's a kind of hands-off approach. There's just a lot of responsibility that we're given, you know? So that leads us to ask the question that if God is in everything and in everyone and he's created this planet, then what about all the bad in the world? Is he in that too? And in chapter 7, Lord Krishna says clearly that our tendencies, our actions belong to us alone. We are responsible for our own actions. We do have free will. The ability to think, reason, and act is definitely God-given. But we decide how to act. So if somebody's going to commit a crime... The fact that they have life, they have energy, they have the ability to commit that crime is definitely God-given. But the choice they made to do that is theirs. And therefore, the karmic account they accrue is theirs. And Lord Krishna advises us in the Bhagavad Gita how to act optimally and go about doing our duty without incurring negative karma. But at the very end of the Gita, he tells Arjun and us, I've explained everything to you. I've explained how to behave. Now you do as you wish. Choice is yours. Exactly. Our individual choices have had impact, of course, but our collective choices have also had an impact that we all live with. We have to take responsibility. So I think we always ask, why do bad things happen to good people and vice versa? But I think that answer is right here, that we've all made a series of choices and past lives in this life that have put us in this position, good or bad, or in between. And all of our collective choices have put us in this position, again, good or bad. And more likely in between. <laughs> between, that's right. Krishna says that I'm the self-seated in the heart of all beings, so am I the beginning and middle and also the end of all beings. The whole point is to try and see God in everything, even in very difficult situations, which is really tough. Very tough. I mean, I was 
thinking about this too, because, you know, we always teach our kids in Balvihara, one of the first lessons is what does namaste mean? What is this act of putting your hands together and bowing to someone else? And the idea is that you're honoring the God that's in that other person. That's what we always teach kids is to recognize that God resides in that other person just as God resides in you. In some ways, it's easy, but I think it becomes challenging when it's somebody that is a difficult personality or somebody that you don't get along with. To look at the God in them requires um, a lot of strength on our part. But I think this is an important concept of who God is. If we could really understand that and treat that other person as if they had something divine in them and that we were connected to them and that we also had a divine in us. It would just be an incredible shift in the way that we treat one another. In the same way, if we saw that God was in nature and the earth and everything around us, how profoundly differently we would make our decisions and our choices. He says there's no creature, animate or inanimate, which exists without me. And like you said, Shayla, he's asking us to develop an attitude of consciousness, and some people call this enlightenment, where we try and see the best in everyone and the best in everything. Thus, we see God everywhere. And if we practice and develop this habit of seeing God's presence all around us, then we'll learn to appreciate and respect all of creation and be more tolerant. My dad always says the real mark of somebody who's religious is tolerance for everyone and everything. Ooh, it's tough. <laughs> really tough. But you know what I like? This is in our grasp to start this practice of seeing God and others and treating people accordingly. That's something we can take small steps towards doing. It's literally being intentional about it and being conscious about it all the time to think, okay, take a minute. If I'm going to appreciate the divine in this person, how is that going to change my interaction with them? And that change only benefits you. Right. And the karma that you create and the destiny that you create for yourself. Right. Tough, but start small. I keep saying that. Start small. But it's true. You know, you can't just wake up one day and run a marathon. You have to start small and you practice and practice and then you just build upon that and it becomes second nature, hopefully at some point to start looking at the world around you differently and treating it differently. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's something to aspire to for me. So what does today's episode, who is God? What is God? Where is God? What does it have to do with managing anxiety? The whole point of Lord Krishna explaining who and what he is, is so that we can practice seeing God and recognizing God in everything and everyone all around you, that God is present. And with that knowledge that God is present comes a certain calmness, a peace, and a feeling of being supported. In chapter 12, verse 7, Lord Krishna says, those whose minds are set on me, meaning those who see me everywhere, He says, I speedily rescue them from the ocean of death-bound existence. And what he's saying is that if you see me everywhere, all those little deaths that we 
experience every day. Like, oh my goodness, has something happened? Oh my goodness, this didn't go the way I wanted it to. Oh my goodness, endless catastrophizing thought process. He says, if you just understand that I'm with you, I'm there in everything. He says, I rescue you from all these little deaths, all these anxieties that constantly plague you. If you can just relax, have peace in the knowledge that I am there with you. Whatever is happening, see me in everything and be your best self. Practice the teachings of the Gita and I'm there. So for me, that gives me the ability when things are difficult to at least be able to manage that anxiety, prevent me from crawling up into a ball that at least I can function. This verse really helps me that trying to see him everywhere and in everyone and helps me with that anxiety for me. Absolutely. And when I was thinking about this, I think people can conceive of this where is God in so many different ways. I mean, you can think of it as, you know, a gentle hand on your back sort of guiding you through life. You can think of it as this presence inside you and in others that's directing you and helping you make decisions. Um, for me, as someone who does have anxiety, it's also what we're taught in the Gita that Krishna talks about this idea of being in that present moment and focusing on the task at hand. Whenever we feel anxious and people who do experience anxiety, one common experience is this idea that, you know, your mind is all over the place, that you are thinking of, as you mentioned, thinking of all the horrible things that can happen, all the potential outcomes, and the idea of focusing thinking about the task at hand, just focusing on that, understanding what you have control over. That to me is the concept of God, just this idea that God has given me instructions on how to um, make decisions in a way that would calm my anxiety. And I can tell you where he's not. In my opinion, he's not in those statues you're praying to. Um, nope. There's a lot of ritualism that people take part in, myself included. I definitely pray every day. I have a temple in my house with some beautiful statues. But why do I have them? I see so many people, they pray to these statues with such devotion and they revere these statues and they wash them with milk and water and change their clothes and all of that. And that's wonderful. But if your devotion ends there with the statues, then you're kind of not getting it. Devotion to those statues, the whole point of those rituals is to carry that love to your fellow humans, to carry that devotion the way you're loving these statues as representatives of God, representatives of that incredible power that exists. The whole point is to realize that we have living, breathing representatives of that power right next door to us and even in our same house, in the people that we love and the people we don't love and the people who support us and the people who don't support us, to respect the divine and the God in all is the point of devotion to these statues and the rituals. I've so, never thought about it that way. It's really a way of practicing what it's like to 
treat everybody. That's just so profound and beautiful, honestly. And um, I learned this at a Krishna Das concert. He said, when we say Ram Ram or Jai Krishna or any other greeting that mentions God's name, in fact, the word goodbye means God be with you. I mean, I think we all know that, right? Oh, you I didn't did know, know that, that. I did no not. Way. Goodbye means God be with you. It came from Old English. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I should Google it right now before I miss it. <laughs> Wait, I'm Googling it right now. Wait, does goodbye, goodbye. I'm pretty means sure God be that's with you. what I, I feel like that makes means, sense. Yeah, means God be with you. Yeah, God it's a thing. You can Google it, people. It's on Google, so it's true. See, and then it's fact. It. Then it it's fact. <laughs> so the way we say Jesse Krishna or Sai Ram or Ram Ram or Om Shanti or Hari Om, so I'm going to talk about Jai Sri Krishna, which is the phrase I use and the phrase we use in the podcast. Jai means victory. Shri means the highest. And Krishna means, of course, God. So you're wishing each other victory to the God within you. So victory, as we've talked about in this podcast, that Lord Krishna says that I am the good of the goodness, the intelligence of the intelligent and all the sparks of my splendor. You're actually wishing for the other person victory to that spark in you. Let that spark be victorious in your thinking and guide your decisions. So that's what I say to you, Shayla, when I say hi to you, I say Jesse Krishna to you and my family. And that's what you're saying to me. It's victory to the God in us. That's amazing too. I also, I didn't know that either. <laughs> Just How can you not know that? You've been my student for years. This is, like, this is embarrassing now. I know, I'm now. getting a C minus in this class. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's generous. Um, you get an F, Shayla. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just not C minus. A bit demoted. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. But I think, again, just from goodbye, Jaisha Krishna, all these things that are honoring the spiritual and everybody. And, and actually, even more actively, you're not just honoring the spiritual, you're actually wishing them to make good choices, I think is just so amazing. And what if we like really meant it? What if every interaction we really meant that with everyone, just thinking of what great and amazing things could be accomplished, honestly. Yeah. So let's hope we're one teeny tiny step closer to that with this podcast. And right. I just want to leave you with one last thought before we say goodbye. The whole of chapter 12 is Arjun asks Krishna that what's the best way to love you and worship you? And Krishna says, well, prayer is nice. You can pray to me. That's always fun. But really the best way, the people who I love the most, are the people who practice the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita and actually are good to their fellow humans and stay calm and are engaged in the welfare of others Lord Krishna says those are actually my fave ways to worship me is to worship the God in everybody and look after everyone. So I think that's pretty cool. That's pretty amazing. And we can all do it. We can all be we intentional and do it. We definitely can. Not easy, but we have to start somewhere. At the end of chapter 10, Krishna says that I've given you all this detailed knowledge of who I am. But ultimately, he says, I stand holding this entire universe 
by a single fragment of myself. He basically says that I am so incredibly powerful that this entire universe is taking a fragment of my energy. That's an interesting thought too. And it's hard for this feeble mind to grasp, <laughs> but the idea that you have that extra strength and that extra power is with you always, always. And I do think if you really understand that and understand that that divine is in you and all around you, I think it, it can help alleviate some of the everyday stresses of existing and what can sometimes seem like a chaotic place. In our next podcast, we're going to discuss why should we have faith in this power? We know that this podcast more than others was, for me, it was tougher. It's a lot for me to digest. And for our listeners, I want to say all of these concepts take time and we'll put the verses up and take a moment to read them, reflect on it. Check us out in all the usual places. Our social media is Geet the Girl Podcast on both Instagram and Facebook. Our website is geetthegirl.com. And as always, please feel free to message us with your questions at geetthegirl at yahoo.com. You can send them to us there or on our social media. We always love to hear from you. And thank you once again for tuning in. All right. That's our podcast. Jay Krishna. Today. Now Jay I know Jay. what that means. <laughs> 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 okay, I'm bumping you up to an F plus. Vasudevasutam Devam Tansujanuramardanam Devaki Paramarandam Krishnam Vandev Jagat Guram <laughs>